We're going to continue our series today, might even finish it up. Uh, you never really finish these things because uh, they're based on the Word and there's no end to the depth uh, of the Word. But uh, we're going to be talking again about being engrafted into Christ. And I want to start first of all with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where we got the title for this series from, Engrafted into Christ. And I'm going to be reading verse 17 in the Amplified Translation. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Actually, I'm going to read through verse 21 because it's just so good and I love to read in context. But all things are from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. And we kind of camped here last week that not only did he reconcile us with himself, but he gave us that same ministry, that same word to go and to tell the world, God is not mad at you. He's not out to get you. He's not waiting for you to perform right. He loves you so much that through his son, he made you right with himself. One translation actually says, uh, God was personally present, well, that's probably this translation, <laughs> in Christ, reconciling the world unto favor, like an old word, like you went on my property, you don't belong, right? Not counting up our mistakes, where we did this, and we did that, and we did this, and we did that, and we looked last week at reconciliation is an accounting word, and it means you go in great detail to make sure that everything is taken care of. So God went to great detail to make sure that everything in your life and my life is taken care of in great detail. That means you cannot come up with a sin that's so small that God doesn't care about it or so big that God can't handle it. It means that in every point that you could ever imagine or come up with or however creative you are and however creative the devil thinks he is, there is not one thing that you or I or any other human being could come up with that God didn't reconcile in the minutest point, right? I remember when my dad taught me how to balance my checkbook. He's like, if there is one penny off, you have to find that one penny. I'm like, dad, but that's just a penny. He said, no, that penny is important because if that is messed up, you don't know what else is messed up. It has to all equal out. And so we looked last week at, you know, how detailed God is concerning us. And do you realize that the Bible says that he has every hair on our head numbered? Not like he just knows how many they are, but like you just lost hair number, you know, 102,323. But you only lost half of it, so like 0.5. Right? Like he knows in the greatest detail everything about us. And if he knows that, what else does he know concerning your life, concerning your affections, concerning your desires, concerning what you will respond to and what you won't respond to, concerning what is good for you and what's bad for you? Yet sometimes we walk around and we think, well, we would never say this, but our actions speak that we know better than God because we don't have to do it his way because we can just do what we want to do. Well, you can do what you want to do all you want. The Lord will not stop you. You're a, like a, a free agent. You can do whatever you want to do. The Lord's not going to force you to do anything. The devil's the one that forces and, and pushes you into it. But then you're just going to get the kind of results that you can offer or that the world can offer you. And so I don't know how long you've been alive. I know I've been alive for like 43 years. I'm 42, but I count the time in the womb, right? So I've been around for like 43 years. The world is uh, deceiving. And it might look like, oh, this is good, and you're going to love this, and it's going to be wonderful, just like the serpent showed Eve. Oh, you really want this, and, you know, God doesn't want what's best for you. You know, I, I want what's best for you. But, man, you get acquainted with some of the ways of the world, and you'll find out real quick they'll drop you like a hat. They'll drop you like a hot potato. 
They'll invite you, invite you till you get, they get what they want, and then poof. Well, that's because it's the devil's system. Satan is the god of this world system. So, um, you know, the world system is going to kind of function like, uh, like he does. Therefore, if any person is engrafted into Christ, what does that mean? Well, that means that our life actually flows from the life that's in the vine, the life that's on the trunk of the tree. When you engraft, there is actually a cutting on both sides in order to engraft. And when you get engrafted into Christ, most translations say, if any man be in Christ. And so what we're kind of studying is what it means to be in Christ, or as many translations say, in union with Christ, or in our union with him, our connection with him, our oneness with him. So this is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, revelation in the word of God and therefore in your life is who you are in Christ. And our problem is, uh, well, let me don't make people feel like uh, you got pressure on you. My problem is, right, and you can accept it easier if it's about me rather than about you. Humankind's problem is, we try to identify with everything else, and as a last resort, we're going to identify with who we are in Christ. Now, if you're a good Christian and you've heard the message before or the subject before, you're going to say, no, 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 pastor, like, I identify with who I am in Christ. Well, check up on who you've been identifying with. Check up on how you've been living, because if you're going to identify with anything else besides who you are in Christ, you're living a life far below what Jesus paid for and what God planned. And it's real easy to identify with something else and not, uh, what do you, how, how would I say it? It's easy to unconsciously identify with other things outside the word of God, outside of who you are in Christ. Uh, let me give you an example. And, um, you know, it has to do with what you're comfortable with. In other words, when you reach, uh, encounter a situation in your life or even the life of someone close to you that you know, you're going to gravitate towards where you find the most comfort, what makes it easiest for you to cope with a situation or to deal with a situation or to go through a situation. And many times that comes from experiences that you have had in your life. So if you look and, and you know, you may say like, well, you know, uh, when I was young, I was always left alone and so nobody paid attention to me. And so if you're that type of person, you may find if you're not real careful, that you have this uh, basically conditioned fear of being left alone and being alone. And so when people do things, you actually uh, hear through that filter. Instead of hearing through who you are in Christ, that you are a new creature in Christ, old things have passed away, look, everything is brand new. And so you'll find yourself... Um, responding in a way outside the word because maybe you had a bad experience, maybe, maybe something happened and um, you can't explain why. And so in order to cope with it, you actually respond through natural means rather than through the word of God, but rather than declaring through your actions and through your words who you are in Christ. In other words, if you don't identify with who you are in Christ then you're going to try to live your life through what you have learned in life, how to cope, how to survive, how to make it, or how to succeed, all in natural things. How to, how do I explain this well? You'll even lie. Because say you have a relationship conflict and it's with someone that you really love that's really close to you. And you know, like, maybe you messed up or maybe they messed up, but the situation is just a, a, a delicate situation. And so in order to make the other person feel better because you've had other situations maybe in your life where, you know, you kind of, like, explained it and you got rejected, 
then to make the other person feel better, you're going to be like, they'll be like, did that upset you? Oh, no, I was fine. Everything's good. It's wonderful. Why? Because you're trying to smooth the situation over because of experiences you've had before. Now, am I saying like you just need to go like a bowl in a china closet and be like, you know what? This is what you did to me. Well, if the situation requires it, maybe. <laughs> uh, that's all based on your relationship. But what I'm saying is you have to find out who you are in Christ. Because in church, it's real easy to say, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. But outside of church, it's real easy to say, why do I always make the same mistake? Why do I always keep doing that? I always go down that path and I don't do it. You know, that's not identifying with who you are in Christ. And the, there's two major parts to identification with Christ. One of those is Galatians 2.20, where we left off last week. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse right here actually tells you both sides of identification. Number one, I'm crucified. Number two, now I live. And you can't really get those out of order and live in Christ. Now, I didn't just say you can't get those out of order and not be a Christian, not be born again but you can't live your life in Christ, in your union with Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, we are three-part beings. Literally, you are a spirit, and you possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in this body that you see. And if you try to live by what your body wants to do, uh, you're gonna like, have a really rough time in life. Because your body's uh, desires are fickle. You know, sometimes you're going to want like, like a, you know, sometimes I want chocolate and sometimes I don't want any chocolate. Like it's not, my body doesn't consistently want the same amount of chocolate. I, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not, well I'm trying to use chocolate because I don't want to say like uh, something graphic you know, for somebody like, you know, I'm trying to make it easy to, easy to eat. Most people like chocolate, but sometimes I don't like chocolate. But you have to first be crucified with Christ or see yourself crucified with Christ before you can actually have his life. And I want to illustrate that. It's, not, it's kind of like a lie to tell you that I'm going to illustrate it, but I'm going to let the word of God illustrate it from Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to read a few translations first, then we're heading over to Romans 5 and 6. Noli said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now it is not my old self, but Christ himself lives in me. Crest said, I died when Christ died on the cross. I do not live now, but Christ lives in me. Another translation says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I live now not with my own life, but with the life of Christ who lives in me. Notice he says, I have been crucified and now I live with another kind of life, with life from another source. I like uh, T.L. Osborne, who's gone on to be with the Lord, but I was honored to be in some of his meetings. Uh, not, not the international ones, I wanted to go to those, but some in the Tulsa. And, um, you know, he said, the problem with people that are not Pentecostal is they have a religion that has love, but they don't have any power. But he said the problem with a lot of people that are Pentecostal is they have a religion that has a lot of power, but not a lot of love. He said you actually need both. You go to the cross. The cross speaks of the love of Christ, but the resurrection speaks of the power of God. And you really have to have both of those. Um, but don't expect to get the power of God without first going to the cross. The life I now live in this body, I live in faith, faith in the Son of God who loved me and who sacrificed himself for my sake. 
Barclay says, I have been crucified with Christ. My own life is dead. It is Christ who lives in me. Truly, my physical life goes on, and it does, but its mainspring is faith in the Son of God. Even how your physical life has, is sustained or has vigor or has vitality is found in Christ. You know what that says to me? That says that if you don't live in Christ, conscious of who you are in Christ, and receiving from who he has made you and what he has given you, that you're going to have some situations in this life on the earth that are going to be too much and going to sap all of your energy and sap all of your power. But there's nothing that can sap the power of God. Way says, or Lou rather first, Christ took me to the cross with him and I died there with him. Way says, Yes, I have shared Messiah's crucifixion. I am living indeed. But it is not I that live. It is Messiah whose life is in me. Uh, This is such a pivotal passage of Scripture because Paul's really telling us the key to the successful Christian life so that we're not living like an un renewed person or someone who is not born again, and yet being born again, what a tragedy, that you're a new creature, but you live like an old creature. But that happens so much, because if you don't know who you are in Christ, it's like, you know, the example I gave of the lady over in Europe, and she was a servant for a woman of nobility, and... um, when the woman of nobility passed away, she had in her, uh, <clears throat> she had given this woman this, this uh, document that she, this woman framed because she was illiterate, she couldn't read, and she had it on her wall for years, and a minister actually went over to visit her and said, hey, do you mind if I take that thing and have it examined? You know, it was precious to this woman because it was her main memory of the woman she had served. No, no problem. Took it, had it examined. It was like either her will or a portion of her will, it designated Great riches, access to great riches right on her wall that she treasured and that she prized and she's living in poverty. That to me is such a good picture of the born again believer who is not living in light of who God has made them to be, who we are in Christ. Because we have all of these blessings, all of these benefits because Jesus died And he left us this document, yet we just think, isn't that thing beautiful? Don't you like the leather on my Bible? Or the, don't you like the iPad that holds the Bible? For some people back there, right? Mark translation says, with Christ, I have been co-crucified. In other words, when he was on the cross, he was not alone on the cross. When he was on the cross, you were there on the cross with him. And the sooner you and I realize that in our heart, not our head, you can't grab this with your head. If you try to grab this with your head, these things, the Bible says, are foolishness to the world. In other words, they don't make sense to your head. But if you get a revelation of this, it'll turn your life upside down. I consider myself as having died and now enjoying a second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. Message says, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. You know, I'll just pause there. That's what I'm talking about, where you don't even realize how you're acting and what you're doing. You're doing this. I was driving one time, and I had a situation with someone. This is years ago. And I was driving, but I was thinking back on this. I realized, I guess the Lord revealed it to me, but I was thinking back on this situation uh, encounter that I had with this person, and all of a sudden it was like it was like a veil lifted off, that I was actually responding to people and honoring what they said more than God. Oh, I was appalled. I was like, oh, 
but until the Holy Ghost showed me, you could have told me that. And I said, no, I'm not. But man, when the Spirit of God reveals something, it's like, you're like, how could, I, how could I have not seen that before? It's so important to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and what he says and, and, not, not, uh, and really to honor what he says because he is a perfect gentleman and it is the easiest thing in the world to just take what he says because he's not pushy about it and hold it in low regard. That's another word for despise. But despise means to hold in low regard. Well, if you're guarding things higher that man say than what God has said, uh, you're, you're holding what he said in lower regard, and you won't get God's best. So uh, anyhow, the Lord set me right. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. This is message translation if you like this one. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. Now, nobody raise hands. Like, everybody just look forward, act like I'm talking to somebody else. Like, how many of us could say that? But it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, our life is to be totally and only reliant upon God, our faith in God, our connection with God. Faith, remember, is a turning away, complete turning away from your self-will and the things of the world and a turning to God. In other words, it's a releasing of that and a turning to God. And the releasing part happens at the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, my self-will, my self-desires, my need to be affirmed by what people say, oh yeah, that's a good job, or you did that, or I like how you did that, or um, my need in order to be affirmed based on the work that I do. In other words, if I accomplished a lot today, then I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm not saying like accomplish a lot in prayer. I'm talking about if I did a lot at the job. If I did this or I did that, then I feel good about myself. No, I am crucified. Men, I don't care how men treat me. I don't care what the business is doing. I, before the Lord, am doing what's right. And so therefore, <clears throat> I'm not living. Christ is now living in me. The only way you can do that is by going to the cross. Christianity begins with well, let me say this. Somebody say, somebody might say, well, I'm trying to be nice or I'm, I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to, to, to do what I should do for people. I'm trying to give what I should give to people. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to be that. Uh, Christianity doesn't begin with trying to be something. It begins with you be something. Not I'm trying to be, I am. Like, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to be a new creature. I'm not gonna uh, get to be a new creature once I do the right things, once I pray enough, once I read the word enough, once I speak enough, once I witness enough. No, you be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Uh, you just have to behold it. I love how King James says, behold, if any man be in Christ, like, behold, stop, look intently, figure it out, and see it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If the devil can get you to think, well, yeah, but you're, yeah, but you're, you're not as close to God as other uh, Christians because you haven't been one for so long, or you don't know how to pray, or you don't know how to this, you don't know how to that, man, he can grab you every time because he is trying to get you to identify with what you have done naturally. He's trying to get you to identify with your surroundings. In other words, you're not smart enough you're not pretty enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not strong enough, but God said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things have passed away, look, everything is brand new. Everything means everything. All right, let's just go home. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter six.
Well, let me, I'll read two passages of scripture from chapter five, but if you turn over to chapter six, then you'll be there. Well, I'm just gonna read verse 17 from chapter five. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one, Jesus Christ. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by the one. That's speaking of Adam. Much more, they which have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one, Jesus Christ, which the word of God tells us is the second Adam. In other words, Adam, who we call Adam, was the first man first mankind. Jesus is the second mankind. And what really is laid out in the word of God are two complete orders of life and death. The order of Adam, the first Adam, is an order of death. Death doomed, death ruled. But the order of Christ is an order of life, everlasting life, zoe life, the God kind of life. And what happens when we are born again is we're removed from the entire sphere of the first Adam. And we are placed into the sphere of the second Adam, the spotless Lamb of God. The first Adam, which is ruled by sin and death. And then we go to the end of the sphere of the second Adam, which is ruled by righteousness and life. In other words, the first Adam, if you're ruled by the first Adam, and you can be born again and still ruled by that first Adam kind of life because that first Adam kind of life is not holy enough to pray, is not good enough to come to God, uh, has to do something to get God's attention, has to do something to get God to, to get in the good favor of God so that he'll listen to you, has to like do some works or, or be this or be that. But that's not the second Adam kind of life. The second Adam kind of life lives its life based on what the second Adam did, which is the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the blood of Jesus, that he's the one that gives us access, that he's the one that is our ticket in. And so Christianity actually starts because you are something. You become something when you're born again, when you're a new creature, not you're doing things to become something. Not, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, listen to this, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Why? That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Somebody said like, it just costs too much to be a Christian. Well, in one sense, you're completely wrong. It just pays. But in the other sense, you're completely right. It costs your whole life. You have to give up the lordship of your life. But when you do it, you get the kind of life that the world only dreams possible. You get a life without guilt, without remorse, without condemnation, without sickness and disease, without poverty. You get a life the way that God has life, you get the very life and the very nature of God. But the only way that you're gonna experience that kind of life in this life is when you identify with who you are in your connection with Christ, not who you are at your job, not your position at the company, not who you are in your position in your family, not who you are in your position with your friends, not who you are in your financial position, in your cultural position, not what part of the city you live in, not where, how much you travel, not what you post on Facebook, not what you post on Facebook, not what you post on Facebook. 
Listen. This, okay, it's so funny. <laughs> you hear people say this for years, and then you're like, understand why they say it. So this is not who you're thinking of, all right? So whoever you're thinking of, it's not who you're thinking of. But you'd be surprised the nationally known ministers that their, their feathers fall a little bit when they don't get enough likes on a post that they make. Now, it's not who you're thinking of. Because a lot of people know, people I know, but it's not who you're thinking of. Do you know what? I have no special anointing to live the Christian life. I have an anointing to minister. And so we are all faced with the, we want to be accepted by people. We want to have all the likes. We want to have, you know, if, if you're not on Facebook or something like that, but you want to have, hey, you did a good job. Hey, you did this. And it's not bad for people to tell you that, but it's wrong for you to live for that and to identify with that. Like, if you don't get that, well, then your day is sad and things aren't good. That is the wrong way to live. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time, but anyhow, that's like, uh, what do you call it? I used to be an in intelligence. We call that circular intelligence. So like, I, I, say, I say something, I tell somebody... I know a secret, so I tell somebody a secret, and they go tell somebody else that secret, but it really came from me. It's the same thing that came from me, and so everybody's using the same data that I generated, right? So that's the same thing like social media stuff. I'm not against social media. You should connect with people. What I'm saying is you can't live for that. It's like money. It's good to have money, but it's horrible for money to have you. Money is a blessing from the Lord. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. So Facebook is not evil, but the love of Facebook. <laughs> but I hope you know what I'm saying, because we live in a social media culture. And, um, you know, if you, if you do something socially, you know, and I would, now we're talking about media, but you can do it socially anyhow, and you get a good reaction, it feels good for people to like stuff that you've done, especially you put a lot of effort into it, you've done a lot, so that's not wrong, but it's wrong to live for that because what that even becomes is it becomes a false picture because why? Well, the only people that really saw it, for the most part, are your friends unless the thing went viral, and then, you know, uh, you're not even getting a true picture of reality anyhow. Plus, people mostly just post what they want you to see, except for the really unwise people. I just always have to add something, don't I? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. I'm just saying, if you want to get a good job, <laughs> when you flesh out, maybe don't put it on social media because nobody's perfect, but some people will definitely hold that against you. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You know, like, I don't know some of the temptations Christ had. I know I think the greatest temptation was in the garden. And I, you know, I personally think that was because of he knew he was going to be separated from God and the sins and iniquities of the whole world was going to be on him, you know. And, um, but, you know, sometimes you approach the crucifixion. I approach the crucifixion like I am crucified with Christ. Like, you might think like, oh, boy. If I do that, will I actually rise again? <laughs> what if I don't rise again? In other words, what about me? Well, uh, if you're doing it in your own power, that might be the case. But if you do it in Christ, it's the same glory that raised Christ from the dead that raises us from the dead. How can you actually truly live? How can a seed reproduce unless it is first planted in the ground? Verse 5. For it... Oh. Okay. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, Jesus gave us such an example. He gave up all of his self-will. He did not need to go to the cross for himself, except for that himself loved us and that benefited himself. But his condition, what he did on the cross, he was not doing to make himself better. What he did on the cross, he did for you and he did for me. He did it in your place and he did it in my place so that we don't have to go to the cross. 
In other words, he took poverty on himself so we didn't have to live in poverty. He took sickness on himself so we didn't have to live in sickness. And maybe even greater, he took condemnation and guilt on himself so that we didn't have to live in guilt and condemnation. One of the worst things about going to hell is once you get there, realizing that you didn't ever have to be there knowing that the price was already paid, that you were already declared right with God, and you just had to accept and receive that. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, or from this point forward, we should not serve sin. So, if you are serving sin, and sin, serving sin is horrible. Sin is a horrible, the Bible says, is like a taskmaster that enslaves you. And before you realize it, you're enslaved. Well, if you're having trouble and you're serving sin, if I were you, the first thing I'd check up on is, am I living crucified? Have I been crucified? Have I identified with my crucifixion with Christ. In other words, is my self-will dominating or have I turned away from my self-will and said, no, 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 no. My desires have been crucified with Christ and you, you'll ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. What does that mean? If you live in me, if you live in union with me and my words find life in you, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is the word become flesh, the word shown up in human form, the word as if God himself was in a man, what God would look like. So if you're letting the word live in you, then you're going to act just like Jesus. If you're living conscious of who you are in the word, then all of a sudden, now you're not living conscious of what you did, of what somebody else did, of what you need in order to feel like you're valuable. What you need in order to feel like you're valuable is a revelation that the blood of Jesus was poured out and shed for you personally. That the blood of Jesus paid the price for everything you could ever do, everything you could ever come up with, everything the devil could ever come up with to try to um, stumble you, <laughs> try to make you trip and fall. I love that saying where they say like, you know, basically the tactic of the devil is he makes you trip and then blames it on you. What? Well, he puts a temptation, and you're like, oh, that, that, does, that, that apple looks really good. And then you're like, oh. And he's like, you idiot, why'd you fall? But, you know, it's funny to say it that way, but we fall for that. And then we get down on ourselves when it's really the enemy. And, you know, the Bible says that Satan masquerades, or you know, like he dresses up and looks like, an angel of light. What does that mean? What's an angel of light? That is a messenger of God, a messenger of good things. So how, how does that come out? Well, you know, you've had a, a rough life, so you deserve this. Or you deserve all of these people. Like you may have like a check on the inside. Like don't, don't let that... I'm not really trying to click on social media, but it's just a good example. Don't let that have such a place in you. But you're like, yeah, but I was an orphan. And I, I didn't really have mother and father growing up. And so I'm just gonna, I need that. I deserve that because I didn't have that. So then all of a sudden, that takes the place of what you're supposed to have. So in other words, the, what the devil brings doesn't always look like evil at the outset. Like the apple didn't look evil at the outset, but God said, and God created man, and God knew better. And we're to honor what God said. Why? 
because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that's been made has been made by the Word, and everything that exists is actually held together by the Word. So I, I see this, you know, you see the news and different things all the time. Well, why if God is so good? Why does he let this happen? Why does he let that happen? Da, da, da. You know what? If you act on the word, you get the word results. And if you act outside the word, you're still getting the word results. You're getting the negative side of it. If you live by the flesh, what does the Bible say? You will surely die. So what's that mean? Well, I'm just going to tell them off because I want to tell them off. You know what? You're going to have death infused in that relationship. I'm not saying it's going to be uh, dead, dead, like can never has a re resurrection because uh, love never fails. But you have just injected that relationship with death. It's like, why don't you inject yourself with poison and the other person with poison? Oh, boy. Well, we're almost there. I'll just read it real quick. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Think about that. I mean, how time Yeah. How many times does the devil tell you you're going to die or this, or this is going to happen or that's going to happen or this relationship? You understand when death is separation. So the devil's going to say like, oh, well, they're going to get mad at you. They're never going to talk to you again or they're not going to like you if you don't do this or you know, this sickness is going to kill you or this or that or whatever or I'm going to kill you or you're going to die. You know, there's all kinds of things. I mean, uh, he, he is, you know, to do with death. Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where we're going to stop today. Likewise, reckon you also yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We talked last week about reckoning, uh, reconciling, reckons is short for reconcile. And so reckon yourself indeed dead unto sin. In other words, in every point, Jesus was tempted as we are. So in every point of sin, every point of temptation, you reckon yourself dead to that. What does that mean? Well, you think about that and you say, like what I say, I love uh, uh, Psalm 139, no, 119, verse 128. Psalm 119, verse 128. And it says, I esteem your precepts above all else to be true, and I hate every false way. So I just say, and sin is every false way. Sin is anything outside of the word of God. The only way you can have faith is through the word of God. And so if you're gonna do anything outside the word, it's a sin. Because anything that's not done in faith is a sin. And so I say, I hate every false way. So I hate that false way. So you reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin. What does that mean? That means that you feel like that scripture is true for you, but you know because God said it that it is true. She might take like healing. Well, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't, it doesn't appear that way like the, that, uh, that uh, uh, he took my sicknesses and infirmities because can't you see my body? And I can certainly feel my body, but it doesn't look like it. Well, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. What does that mean? My response is based on my belief in the word of God, not based on the symptoms, not based on what the doctors say, not based on what everybody else says. I walk by faith, uh, Abraham said, and not by sight. Or Paul said that. Speaking of, you know, I'm talking about Abraham. Um, Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead to sin. So not, don't just stop there, but what? Alive to God. How is that? 
Well, let me just close with this. If you're gonna say, I'm dead indeed to sin, and I'm alive to God through Jesus Christ, when you go to pray, what does someone that's alive to God, how would they pray? How would they approach God? They would say, oh, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I thank you that I am your child, that your life lives in me, that in my life here on the earth, you find place and you find rest and you find expression for who you are and what you have. I thank you that every time I lift my voice to you in the name of Jesus, you hear me. I thank you that I know you and that I walk with you and talk with you all of my days and that I don't follow strange voices, but I follow everything that you have said. In the name of Jesus, amen. Something like that. That you're not praying defeated, that you're not praying uh, from outside of the holy of holies, that you're not praying from far away from God. But where are you praying? God lives inside of you. Your body is important. Your body is the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them, I will dwell in them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. God lives in you if you're born again. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God himself has made you his dwelling place. That's why he said, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are the Lord's. So it matters what we're doing. What do you do with your body? Well, there's a lot of things you can do with your body, but I think one of the biggest things you do with your body is you talk. And your talking leads you. You know, James tells us, what you say, what you declare, you're going to go that way. You know, your whole course of your life is going to be directed by your, your, your speech. There's lots of other things you do with your body. But how about glorifying the Lord in what you say? Well, sickness does not glorify God. So if you're just talking up sickness, talking up disease, talking up lack, talking up problems, talking up gossip, all these type of things, uh, you're, you're not talking the word and you're separating yourself from the word. You know, the old covenant said, if you keep my commandments and my statutes, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you will fulfill. And Jesus said, the commandment in the New Testament is one commandment, the commandment of love. And God himself is love. And if we get outside of love, we're outside of God and we're outside the word. And we go out from under the protecting hand of God. So when you live in the word, which is living in the love of God and living in the word of God, then you are protected from sickness. You are protected from disease. You are protected from early death. You are protected from poverty because you're living in the word. But what's our issue? Well, none of us 100% live in the word. So what do we have? The mercy of God that's poured out, that's new every single morning. In other words, you can't make this a performance thing. This is who you are and who you have become because of Jesus. So I don't care um, what your background is, what your godly Christian background. I mean, I, I come from a line of... Uh, ministers, and minister, or at least a few generations, a couple generations of ministers, but that makes no difference whatsoever in my relationship with God, except for I had people praying for me, you know, but it gives me no, no like special access, no special anything. In fact, sometimes that can make it more difficult because you're trying to ride on the, what the family has done or what the friends have done or what the acquaintances have done. Uh, every relationship with God is individual. Just because I'm born again doesn't mean that my kids are born again. Now they have all accepted Christ on their own. But not because of something that I have done besides teach them the word and pray over them. But we all individually have to uh, walk by faith.
trust God, live for God. And the thing is, when you're doing that, just don't make the mistake of, well, I'm trying to be this, I'm trying to be that. In fact, I find out if I am doing that in any area of my life, I just have to wake up and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have not put this under the mighty hand of God. I haven't submitted this to the Lord. Somehow I let this thing like creep up and I'm trying to make this happen or do this or whatever because the life of uh, the born-again believer is a life of rest and peace. Hebrews, you can read Hebrews. Uh, Terry Matthews has a song, we're living in the seventh day. We're living in the day of rest. Stand with me if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is full of life, full of power, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for this. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you have known the Lord, but uh, you let things come in and try to push the word of God out, and you, you maybe you're in a little bit of a condition where you you're not close to the Lord and you haven't been living for the Lord. If either of those are you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. We'll get you right with God in an instant of time. You know, the lie is well, that you messed up too much and this and that and this. You know, you're, you're not in a state where you're ready to come to the Lord. Well, that's what we were talking about the whole sermon. That you have to first be something. You don't have to try to make yourself something, work to be something, but you actually become something when you are born again. So if that's you, just slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that as we go this week, we thank you that the Holy Ghost, he reminds us of what you said to us. He reminds us of your words. We pray, Father, that your words would just be standing right at the foot of the bed when we wake up. Father, that we would live our life in light of your word. Father, we thank you for who you've made us in Christ. And I pray for each and every person that's listening. Father, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and in who we have become in Christ, our connection and our union with him and with you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.